Welcome to season four of the Research Briefs podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Streveler, professor of engineering education in the College of Engineering at Purdue University. In Research Briefs, we'll speak with engineering education researchers about what their lives are like, what they are finding out, and how their research is being used. My guest today is Chanel Beebe, a PhD candidate in the School of Engineering Education at Purdue and a deeply interdisciplinary thinker and practitioner. I first met Chanel when she entered the PhD program at Purdue in 2015. She's been a student in three classes that I teach, and I'm also a member of her dissertation committee. I've been lucky enough to see Chanel's abstract paintings and to hear her perform her poetry and be witness to her courageous self-expression. And that's been an inspiration to me. She has a fascinating story to tell about her art, poetry, and research that she's agreed to share with us today. Um, Chanel and I both agreed that her uh, story really is very expansive and we're actually planning two podcasts with her. Um, This is the first one. You'll be finding out more about the second one soon. Chanel, thanks so much for being on Research Briefs. I'm really excited about sharing your story with people. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and an honor to be able to talk about myself and my work in such a complete way. I'm very excited to share with you today. Cool. You're welcome. Um, Can you begin by telling the listeners a bit about your background and some of your areas of expertise? Yeah, um, well, my identities are ever evolving. Um, I currently identify as an African-American two-spirited woman from Detroit. Uh, Detroit is on Wauwatnong land, and I have ancestors from the Choctaw tribe in Mississippi. So I also uh, identify as indigenous. I didn't really investigate that deeply into that part of my background until like 2017 and 2018. So those are fairly new areas for me that I'm exploring. Um, In terms of my area's expertise, I am very, very passionate about social problem solving. Um, I'm also a researcher, an artist, a writer, an entrepreneur, and an activist. So there are a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on this program, we speak with researchers, but one of the things I was so interested in were these other parts of your identity and really being able to give the listeners a fuller picture of what the life of a researcher is and that you don't only have to be a researcher with quotes around that, that there's many other parts. And I think you do interweave those um, in a really fascinating way. I I do want to mention Detroit uh, because that's where we're uh, talking to you from. And you grew up in Detroit, right? And have a really, I think, a a very uh, strong connection to that city as well. Yeah. I think Detroit was the first place that I really started to understand um, the process of becoming any type of practitioner, profession, or artist. Um, There are so many different communities here that have allowed me to develop um, the things I feel like doing personally uh, with the community. Um, And we'll probably have to talk about that more in the second Mm -hmm. podcast. Um, But Detroit is just a part of my heart. Uh, My journey to becoming an engineer and an artist and a poet, all of those kind of came together in this very slow, interconnected timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was a very creative and school smart kind of kid. So a lot of these things uh, came naturally. I've been painting and writing since I was small. Uh, my mom actually said that she used to keep pen and paper for me whenever we would go on errands <laughs> and that would keep me pretty busy. Um, in school, I loved almost everything. Um, I was the only child, so school was like the, the place where things were happening and then I would go home and entertain myself. Um, but I loved art and math and um, I loved English and science. And I was always in like gifted and talented schools. Um, my mom did an amazing job of keeping me pretty busy as well. Um, I think, you know, both because of her passion and because of all that the city had to offer. Um, I was always in some sort of weekend or summer program. Um, and I wasn't introduced to engineering until middle school. Um, at that point, I was in a lot of creative and like writing summer programs. Uh, but once I found engineering, I was like, I would much rather build things than have to read a book every week to go have this conversation. Um, so that's kind of when I first heard about engineering. Um, and then when I got to high school, my focus expanded a little bit to include entrepreneurship. Um, I started a school store with a class I was in in high school. Um, so on the weekends, I was doing all these engineering programs. And then during school, I was doing entrepreneurship um, so as I learned more about engineering, I eventually decided to be an industrial engineer um, because it allowed me to, to blend my passion for business and engineering. It kind of seemed like it gave me the best of both worlds. Um, so after high school, I went to University of Michigan uh, for industrial engineering. And at that point I was still writing and painting pretty leisurely. Um, and I developed this passion for sociology as well. Like I actually took like twice as many um, humanities credits as I needed for my engineering degree. Um, and that kind of helped me develop an interest for academic things outside of engineering. Um, and I didn't quite see what research was, but it, it piqued my interest into the fact that there are these social issues and these very historical things that are happening that are affecting everybody, you know, and those things weren't being discussed in my engineering classes. So I really, really loved uh, the sociology I was able to study there. So sometimes I have heard you refer to yourself as a, a social entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, and I would see that, does that tie in with your uh, love of sociology? Um, you know, it took a while for me to see the social side of my entrepreneurship. I think it um, initially I just understood the business implications of entrepreneurship. Like in high school, as much as I recognized that the store we started became a place for social interactions and it's definitely like one of the hallmarks of my memories of high school. Um, initially, I wasn't completely sure of, about what my entrepreneurship meant. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur. I come from like four generations of entrepreneurs. So I knew it was possible. I knew it was something that people did. Um, I didn't really have a lot of experience with people who did entrepreneurship for some type of social impact. Um, often it was more so the space of um, trying to make money, trying to make, you know, trying to solve a need um, and additionally trying to take care of yourself. Um, it's kind of similar with, with research. Like I never really understood what research was, um, especially not in undergrad. Mm -hmm. So um, can you, can you say then more about the research? Uh, it, it seems like that, that was something that developed then a little later. Yeah. Um, I never really intended to be a researcher. Uh, when I went to university of Michigan, I um, was awarded the Gates Millennium Scholarship and that scholarship came with graduate funding. Um, so because of that scholarship, I knew grad school was an option, but I didn't know much about it other than the few chemistry labs that I had. And 
I really didn't enjoy those. I didn't like the pressure of having to do things in this very specific way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't really know how to conceptualize myself as a researcher outside of a lab coat. Um, I did enjoy the science part of it. Like I really loved my material science class, um, mostly because of the structures and forms. It had a little bit of artistic lens. But honestly, most of the science classes that I loved, I didn't do really well in. Um, So I didn't really think that traditional science or like technical roots really made sense for me. Um, But I did know that I really liked teaching. I did a lot of extracurricular work while I was at the University of Michigan. Um, And in my head, I was kind of like, okay, I like teaching. I'm an engineer, so I can probably teach engineers. Um, And at that point, I was more so thinking about teaching engineers in industry. Um, So I, I think up until like my senior year of undergrad, I was thinking about going to grad school for an engineering management degree. Um, Cause I thought that that would help me to, to train people in industry. And then in my last semester at Michigan, I took a class called Introduction to the Design Process with uh, Shanna Daly. And she had graduated from Purdue's engineering education program. And that was the first class that I ever took where I felt like the teacher could really see and anticipate how I was responding to the, the material. Um, And I had personally never experienced that. Like a lot of the classes I went through, especially in engineering, it was more about your ability to persist through the coursework as opposed to the coursework's ability to match what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had, you know, had my own ideas about how engineering could be taught significantly better. But Shana opened me up to this world of research that said exactly what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thrilled about the idea, but I was more thrilled about the practical applications of it than the actual research itself. Um, And I wasn't entirely sure, like, what that would look like. You know, I was interested in how could this inform how I could teach? um, How could this inform the different type of spaces I could teach, right? But I didn't know much about it. Like, that class was great. Interacting with Shana was great. Um, But I think after that class, I still, my plan was still to go on to get the master's in engineering management and then to possibly apply for a PhD um, in in engineering education at Purdue afterwards. Um, So when I graduated from Michigan in 2014, I actually went to Duke for a master's in engineering management. Um, I actually had to change my major the Friday before class started um, because my scholarship didn't support professional degrees and they couldn't be convinced that engineering management was not the same as an MBA for engineers. Um, Yeah, so that was very stressful. Um, And at the time I knew I knew I wasn't necessarily interested in doing more industrial engineering, um, but I had already moved and I was already down there. Um, So I switched my major to environmental engineering because I did care about the environment. Um, And that went okay. I found an advisor and I was doing okay. But as I was going through the coursework, um, I was having the same kind of issues I was having in undergrad and was noticing that the problems that I had with what I was doing was the same problems that I had with engineering education in general from my undergrad experience. Um, And I was struggling a lot with my mental health and a lot of things were going on. So I decided to drop out from that program. Um, and I completed my application for Purdue before I moved back home. Um, and my, my plan was to move back home, stay there for nine months and then start the PhD program. Um, but, and at that point I still didn't know much about what it meant to be a researcher, right? Mm-hmm. I just had a taste of what graduate level thinking was like. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, it needs to be for something I'm really interested in. Um, and I still, you know, barely really understood what that was like. Mm-hmm. So what was happening with your art and poetry at this time? Um, well, my art had, had skyrocketed, um, throughout my undergrad, I had started using art to give my brain a break. Um, I hadn't really started doing poetry shows. I mean, doing art shows 
Um, but I was sharing my artwork with my friends. Um, and when I moved back to Detroit and I had that very small time frame, um, that's when I was really able to start thinking deeply about what I was interested in, both as a researcher, but also as a creative. You know, I had, um, I think I had nine months before I started my grad program and I really decided to invest in my creativity at that point. Um, the job that I chose gave me a little bit of free time um, because I was at home living with my mom. I didn't have to pay rent. So I took that as a, as a chance to take a job that maybe I couldn't take if I had to pay rent, but was mm-hmm. still interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me all kind of time in the world. And I decided to explore the things that were interesting to me. And poetry was one of them. Um, as much as I had been painting um, an undergrad and sharing my paintings with my friends, my poetry was never something that I shared that, that deeply. Um, so when I got back to Detroit, I started really going to open mics and going to poetry readings. Um, and I actually found out that it was cheaper to perform poetry than to just watch. Um, so that's why I started performing. Um, and I was pretty good at it. I connected with uh, a network of poets in Detroit called the Detroit Poetry Society. And that was just like a gateway to different types of open mics, different type of workshops. Um, and I got really good. Um, so in the time between, you know, leaving Duke and going to Purdue, uh, I really let myself indulge in my creative interests. I performed my first poetry feature. I had my artwork featured in my first art show. I self-published my first chat book. Um, I even curated my first art show before I left um, to go to Purdue. And it was kind of perfect, you know? Um, that creativity plus the job that I chose um, was actually teaching at a nonprofit, teaching math with these very interesting um, pedagogies. And by the time it was, it was time to go to Purdue, my conceptions of what I was going to Purdue had changed drastically, right? My job had really given me insight into what education looks like in the schools and the different problems associated with that. Um, so I was a lot more clear about what I wanted to do with the engineering education, but I still didn't really know what I was getting into for real. Um, and once I started at Purdue, it was actually a little um, painful because I had this new, like freshly invigorated creative sense, this new uh, fresh set of skills around teaching, around engaging with my community. And what I was learning at Purdue was not really helping me engage with them. You know, So I felt pretty distant from my communities and even kind of distant from the issues that really mattered to me. Mm-hmm. So that was a hard kind of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, it's interesting, you know, that that's about the time when I first met you, you were in mm-hmm. a class called foundations that I was the grad chair at the time. So I was teaching that class. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you did a good job, Chanel, of hiding any struggles because the, the <laughs> thing that I really remember about you is being in that class and telling folks that you uh, something about a poem you had written in that you were going to perform it and you performed it with such incredible confidence. Yeah. Um, and, and that still strikes me, I guess, as my strongest early memory of you of like, wow, yeah. here's a person that not only um, expresses herself beautifully, but has the confidence just to share it. Yeah, um, yeah I was fresh out of Detroit at the time. Mm-hmm. I had so much experience with, you know, performing at open mics and performing in places where people didn't necessarily want to hear you. So to be in a space where people were listening, it was like a piece of cake, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I, and maybe we could talk about this more in the next podcast, but I think yeah. as you, as you move through the practitioner space, you are able to develop some stuff that 
you can't shake, you know? And it was so, when I got to Purdue, the poetry was pretty solid. <laughs> like I, I had that, I knew I could do that. I knew mm-hmm. I could speak that way. Well, it, it was, it was solid. And um, when I was hearing the beautiful poetry uh, of Amanda Gorman, this, uh, you know, past January at President Biden's uh, inauguration, it's like, she reminded me of you. Um, oh, wow. Uh, with just this this wonderful young woman who is so incredibly eloquent and confident and whoa it's <laughs> it gives one faith in the world oh, that's beautiful beautiful so Chanel you um, mentioned that you really felt as you were beginning your journey as a researcher, as a PhD student at Purdue, that you felt um, really distant from some of the things that brought you to research. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of how you process that and handle that? Again, from my vantage point, I I didn't see a person struggling. Um, Mm -hmm. But of course, that often happens where we're really good at hiding our struggles from the world. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I think I I leaned on the skills that I had developed um, in earlier parts of my life. And I knew that if I wasn't feeling relevant or like I belong to the to my school, that there was probably a community of people somewhere around that I would feel a little bit more connected to. Um, I also started going to therapy my first semester of um, of undergrad of, of grad school. Sorry. I had gone to therapy before, um, both at Duke and at the University of Michigan, but I had really struggled trying to find a therapist that really understood me. Um, so by the time I got to Purdue, I knew how to have the first conversation to really see, okay, how can how can this therapy relationship work with me? Um, so that was very healing, just to have that kind of constant space. Um, and through talking to the therapist, I was able to, you know, realize that a lot of what I missed was the creativity, um, was the culture. Um, so I got really active on campus. Um, I got involved with Purdue's Black Cultural Center um, and they had these amazing performing arts ensembles and I, one of them was poetry and I was like, oh yes, I have found it. I am home. I am okay. Um, and I, to this day, I don't think I would have persisted like I did in my grad program were it not for the Black Cultural Center. Um, like as much as my department was supportive, um, the campus life and you know even the city life, you know, when I started at Purdue, this was right before Trump got elected. And I was, there were a lot of jokes about if he got elected. And I remember like, y'all don't understand how not funny that would be, you know, but at the Black Cultural Center, I was able to have conversations with people who were also afraid and also um, trying to heal and trying to use their art and their their scholarship to, um, to really do something, you know? And at that point, because I wasn't really sure about what it meant to be a researcher. I wasn't deeply interested in publishing in scholarly journals um, because in my mind, the people that I cared about didn't read those, those journals. Um, and if anything, I felt like I was kind of missing out on opportunities to teach and engage with people directly. Um, and at a certain point, I think a friend of mine gifted me ChanelBB.com as a gift. I think it was a Christmas gift. Um, and the more I was uploading my artwork and my poetry and my other projects, I realized that what I was doing was a lot easier to understand as a design firm, right? Or as something bigger than me, um, trying to introduce myself as Chanel, the engineering educator who does poetry and artwork got kind of confusing. Um, 
So with my high school experience of starting the store, um, I started to reflect on what products and services might I be interested in offering specifically to the communities that I didn't necessarily feel like my research might meet. Um, so as my classes and research assistantships happen, um, I started to understand a little bit better the ecosystem of research, right? And like the different ways that you could um, impact change, different ways that you can be involved. Um, and I realized that if I wasn't building expertise early, I wouldn't really be able to fund or complete the stuff I wanted to do once I graduated. Um, so I decided to apply for my own funding so I could design my own dissertation study. Um, and I started to think of ways to practice what I was passionate about in communities that I already had access to, right? So I'm not trying to wait for some type of institutional opportunity, but really trying to create, you know, the opportunities for myself. Um, so in 2017, which I think was the second year of my PhD, I started my company, uh, BB Arts LLC, and I started it as a research and design firm focused on social and educational equity. Um, and, you know, in the interim, I had developed this program called the Cultural Hackathon in collaboration with some of my Indiana connections and communities. Um, and I started doing workshops around design thinking. And that was really when I was like, okay, this research thing actually might work for what I'm trying to do, right? Because I can see the thinking that I'm doing impacting the communities that I'm in. I'm developing my own kind of communities of practice as it relates to, to that type of, you know, design thinking and social settings. Um, so that was when I really started to to see it. Like the entrepreneurship was like, oh, okay, I can see how the research could be helpful now. So Chanel, it sounds like you were really uh, beginning to weave in the entrepreneurial side of your, your identity into your research. Do you want to say more about that and how the entrepreneurship informed the research itself? Yeah. Um, so after about a year of working in my communities with my company, um, I was getting paid to develop and deliver like week-long workshops um, in Detroit. I also was doing a lot of um, relevant programming in different places. And those experiences were transformational, like the success of those programs and even having the chance to walk other people through a process of solving social problems that matter for them. That really shifted my research focus. Um, I got really interested in um, socially engaged design settings and the space between institutions and their stakeholders. Um, and as I developed my, my dissertation study, I started thinking about what life would be like after I graduate. Uh, and though I loved my consulting work, a lot of what I was enjoying about it was that I wasn't necessarily concerned about its ability to pay my rent, um, but I had the flexibility of just kind of doing it as a practice, right? Um, and though I loved the research, I knew there was a real world edge to that passion and that I needed it to be grounded in some context I cared about. So as I was pondering these things, I um, was also getting really involved in activism. Um, I had started being active on Michigan's campus, but as an undergrad, it's kind of hard to manage your energy and actually figure out what system you're in. Um, so I got really involved with um, some, of the, some of the protests that were happening on campus. Um, and that level of involvement became really taxing um, to both my mental and physical health between teaching, performing, protesting and participating in research meetings. I actually lost a few octaves of my voice um, during my first few years at Purdue, which I don't really talk about much because it was a pretty you know, rough kind of time. But that energy shift required me to slow down and get serious about how each of the things I was involved in was nourishing me and my ability to reach my goals, right? As I was able to see, okay, yes, I'm passionate about these things, um, but they take energy. What is it really that is helping me? Um, so I, I slowed down my performances um, and started focusing on marketing my artwork and marketing the poetry that I had already made. 
Um, and I started working at the Black Culture Center as their scholar in residence for one of their ensembles that was focused on Black thought. Um, and that was really enjoyable because it gave me a low stakes way to have a research group, um, which I had never really conceived of before. Helping those students develop research projects about social issues that matter to them, that really piqued my interest in becoming a faculty member. Um, so again, the social engagement is like, okay, this would be cool. It actually could see how that will work in my research, right? Or how that could work as a faculty member or how that could work um, down these other timelines. So it was a really interesting space between the activism, the entrepreneurship um, and the engagement that kept reinvigorating and helping me to understand, okay, actually this research part is useful, you know, as much as it feels like you might be wasting your time or you're doing stuff that people will never see. I was actually seeing it. You know, I was able to see how the skills I was developing was helping me to help other people develop those skills. Um, and I was able to see how the skills that I came with was allowing me to take my my learning to a whole nother level. Um, so that was super, super transformational. I think had I not been, you know, active on campus or doing the stuff I was doing with my company, I don't know if I would have been able to maintain the, the relevance of what I was doing as a PhD student. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um Shall we talk now about your life now that you're back home in Detroit um, and how your perspective uh, helped heal you and impact you? Um, yeah, I, um, the decision to move back to Detroit was a very early one. I want to say at least within my first six months of living in Indiana, I was like, I can't be here this whole time. Like, I don't know how long this PhD is going to take me. But I know as soon as I can move, I'm going to move. Um, after I defended my prelim for my PhD, um, I started networking with my engineering education community, trying to really think about, OK, I'm getting close to graduating. Right. What is what does this life look like? And I got some advice that it might be useful for me to have a master's degree in some engineering discipline um, because I didn't get that master's at Duke. Um, so I started thinking about that and kind of by happenstance, I was also developing some interest in this concept of systems thinking, which had recently become a whole focus in Purdue's industrial engineering department. Um, so I talked to my advisor and developed an extension of my PhD study that would allow me to look at systems thinking in those spaces. Um, so in 2018, I started my master's program um, and I had to take a, an, an additional year of coursework. And that was actually really hard for me, like as much as I wanted to unpack systems thinking. I wanted to think about myself as an industrial engineer or as a, you know, a researcher in industrial engineering. I did not want to be in Indiana for another year. And I had to have all kinds of conversations to kind of make that okay. Um, so in that last year at Purdue um, on campus, I took the classes that were required, but I started writing a book of artwork, stories, and poems. Um, and I called it proof. And I want to say that was, if that was 2018, whatever was happening with our presidential administration, it made me feel like if I didn't document who I was and that I existed as this very, you know, complicated person that possibly nobody would ever hear about me, you know? So writing that book, I think allowed me to showcase my art and my poetry and boosted my confidence as an artist and as a poet. Um, and I think I published it in March of 2019 and I hosted some open mics um, in Lafayette and in Detroit. And then in the summer of 2019, I was finally able to move back to Detroit and that was just deeply cathartic. After four years of living in Indiana and hoping I would be able to make some impact in the communities back home, I was rejuvenated when I moved back to Detroit. It was 
just a completely new world for me, I think. So um, what's next for you? Um, well, you know, since me, being back in Detroit, I've been able to connect with other communities of practice. Um, when, when I was here before, I had a deep poetry community of practice. Um, and this time I've been able to connect with the artistic community of practice. Um, I've still been writing poetry, um, but I've mostly been focusing on art shows and how to um, get deeper into understanding the, the business of art and the practice of art. Um, I also got really interested in um, translating my dissertation and thesis work to stuff that was useful or interesting to the people who weren't in engineering education. Um, and when that pandemic hit in March, my consulting slowed down a lot. So I had all this extra time to kind of get creative. And I dabbled a little bit back in the poetry. I performed a couple of virtual poetry shows, but I got really interested in digital and print media. Um, and that's kind of where I've been. So on Juneteenth of 2020, I released the first issue of a quarterly print and online magazine that we call Bitten. And that was no easy feat. It re required a lot of collaboration between my creative networks in Detroit and Indiana. Um, my, you know, the major writers were me and some of my Detroit community, but the artist that was helping me, you know, make it beautiful um, was some of the people I met in my poetry group in Indiana. So it was interesting trying to like bridge those two, those two communities and make something that was interesting kind of across. Um, but starting that magazine kind of gave me a space to discuss issues that mattered to me um, and gave me a space to advertise the stuff that I was doing in my company but also to showcase my artwork and poetry and the artwork and poetry of people that I have built relationships with. Um, so the work on the magazine has kind of pushed my research goal even further because now I have this passion for um, public access to knowledge and resources. Um, and it's really interesting, right? Because now, now I'm not just thinking about defending my thesis and defending my dissertation, but I'm thinking about what type of presentations or conversations can I do that would make my community aware of my research, right? And aware of what I've done and what's useful. Um, so I feel like I now have a more legible passion for these things. Um, I also have a more legible passion for design thinking and learning. And I'm looking forward to doing some more teaching and research on the space between institutions and stakeholders. Um, in terms of my company, uh, that the entrepreneurship just continues to evolve, right? So between the magazine, um, and I'm actually rolling out a new version of the cultural hackathon called the Gnosis Method. Um, so it kind of feels like the sky is the starting point for the company. Like it's not even the limit. That's just kind of the next step is to go to the sky and then see what happens. Um, so it's a lot, you know, consulting, getting ready for possibly a faculty role. I've also developed some interest in um, environmental justice and started working with a solar energy company here. Um, and we're thinking about doing a nonprofit around the magazine, which would allow us to do a little bit more public programming. So everything is next. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that's one of the things that's so incredibly inspiring about you, Chanel, is that uh, you certainly do not lack for energy and uh, <laughs> And um, so if people want to investigate some of your work is having them look at chanelbb.com. Is that more of like a portal to your magazine yeah. and other things or? Yeah. So if you go to chanelbb.com, you'll find more about me in general. Uh, my artwork and poetry is, is on there. It also links you to the company. Um, you can go to bbarts.com and hear more about the company and it links you to the magazine as well. And that mm -hmm. is bittenmag.com. 
So you can find me. I also have LinkedIn. Um, our Facebook pages are pretty active. We're like constantly doing conversations for the magazine, and constantly promoting different things. Fabulous. Fabulous. So um, as folks, I think, can see that there is just an incredible richness to your life mm -hmm. and that you are very, very thoughtful and a systems thinker. And so what we want to do in our second podcast with you is, is explore some of those interconnections and uh, some more of the concepts, I think, that you've developed around that. I would love to. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff that we kind of just barely hit on. So I would yeah. love to talk more about, you know, thinking about these different skills and communities um, as areas that can be kind of traversed in different ways. Right, right. Well, Chanel, thank you so much. I, I learned so much from being around you and hearing you. And uh, again, you just make my my uh, old person's heart very just <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, knowing that there are people like you, young people like you that are out there making the world a better place. So oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to coming back and talking again. Wonderful. Did you want to ask me about the wrap-up advice? See, did, we do that already? did you want to ask me about the advice for the listener? Do you want to wrap? Okay, let's do that. If, if you want to do it here or if you want to save it, you can do that. Um, I can do it a little bit here and okay. maybe they can okay. put it right after what you were saying about coming back the next time. Okay, we'll do it. be probably like two sentences though. Okay. So um, I do want to end this particular episode, even though we've given people a teaser about the next time. I always do ask folks what advice they have uh, or things that they want to leave the audience with. So I want to give you that opportunity as well. Hmm. Okay. Um, I think the major piece of advice I would give is that the difference between you and the people you idolize is practice and your attitude, right? So if you don't have a fixed mindset and you let yourself continue to practice and engage in these spaces, you'll find yourself pretty good at things over time. And I think that that's something that it took me a while to understand. Um, I spent a lot of time a little you know, insecure about how good I was at these different things. But over time, you find that your level of expertise will travel with you, you know, as long as you continue engaging it and practicing. So that would be my advice, practice. Whatever you don't feel secure about, keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful advice. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our next episode. Yes, me too. Research Briefs is produced by the School of Engineering Education at Purdue. Thank you to Patrick Vogt for composing our theme music. A transcript of this podcast can be found by Googling Purdue Engineering Education Podcast. And please check out my blog, Ruth Strevler dot wordpress dot com